All right, welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have another absolute legend of a guest. It is Justin, formerly known as Blue the Bear. He was on an earlier episode with us. I don't know the number. I'm going to put it uh, somewhere there and at the end of this uh, episode. You'll be able to see that as well. Um, FTX has crashed. Shit's hit the fan. Shit coins are officially shitter. And today, we're going to be focusing purely on what happened with the FDX, how to get the fuck out of those central exchanges, save your ass, learn Bitcoin, learn about peer-to-peer, learn about the Lightning Network, and let's strip it back to truly what cryptocurrency is. I don't know. Maybe Bitcoin isn't even crypto and it's its own thing, but that's going to be the entire discussion of this podcast. How can you protect yourselves? in these ridiculous times, especially with central exchanges. It's getting a bit long-winded now, so we're going to get this started for Justin's YouTube channel. He's now changed it from the crypto jungle to -to peer-to-peer trades. Um, He's officially doxxed himself as Justin, not Baloo the Bear. Um, So you can check him out there. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And uh, without further ado, let's get this started. All right, thanks a lot, Justin, for joining us. Fuck, the coffee gets me going. Woo! <laughs> there you go. You got <laughs> to have that energy. Yeah. yeah, no, super stoked to be back. Yeah, yeah so me. let's fucking jump right into it. Uh, if you want to learn about Justin's life, um, I'll put that video at the end of this episode so you can go see it. Probably links in the description. It's more about Justin, what brought him to Thailand, what he was doing, how he got into crypto. Today's purely about how to protect yourself and what the fuck's been going on with FTX. So why don't you just explain right away what happened to FTX? What's the story and what actually happened? though? So, you know, without getting too technical and without getting too like into the nitty gritty, the, the high level, you know, assessment of what has gone on is they've basically, they didn't hold the crypto that they were selling to people. So when you go to an exchange and if you buy Bitcoin, you expect that you're buying Bitcoin. You go there, you expect that you're buying Ethereum, whatever it is that you're buying, you expect that you're buying it. The only time you ever truly buy it is when you request to withdraw and then they're forced to provide that coin that you've requested to withdraw to put it into your wallet. But what happens on the back end when you keep your funds on there is they're just going to manage the money and, and, you know, it's effectively, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. It's, it's a fractional reserve banking system, something that we have with normal banks today except, you know, when you have a bank run, when you have people all withdraw at the same time, there isn't money. They don't have what they need to be able to provide the liquidity to honor the withdrawals. So a collapse happens. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Everybody ran to FTX to withdraw. The withdrawals could not be honored because the money wasn't there. And uh, there was a collapse. Was it a big part have to do with maybe, uh, we call him CZ from Binance, um, CZ. CZ. Yeah. CZ yeah. from, well, Canadian, right? Sorry, CZ. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, bud. Come on. Out of the, <laughs> yeah, out of out of the loop for too long. CZ from um, <laughs> uh, Binance. CZ. He kind of came out on Twitter and there's that crypto Twitter chatter, yep. but he basically was selling all the FTT token. And um, I think that's a good part we can, we can uh, jump into and as well as F- FTX. They had their own token, FTT. And yep. CZ said, basically, we're selling it all which made them over leverage, which basically made them insolvent, essentially. Could you talk a little bit more on the details? And I think for anyone watching this, if it does get a bit technical, um, just put it a bit slower, take notes, because I truly believe if you don't understand this and you're getting into crypto, uh, this is a very good starting point, especially as we're going to be 
explaining not your keys, not your coin, and how to protect yourself. Um, and this situation is a huge historical learning experience, and all Bitcoin maxis have been watching this forever. They've been having a heyday lately. Right? I mean, they're probably they're just sitting back and doing the fucking Ricky, a toad a fucking so moment. <laughs> like, I, I, I told us so. Fucking a toad a so. Um, so. Shout out let, to the Trailer Park yeah, Boys. Trailer fans. Park Boys, yeah. Um, let's talk about that of specifically with CZ from Binance and, and bringing that narrative to the crypt, the Twitter crypto space and talking about selling all his FTT. Was that the straw that broke the camel's back and explain in detail what kind of happened there? Basically all of these exchanges, in my opinion, since we can't really prove their books because their books aren't auditable on the blockchain, they're all kind of just managing their accounts to the best of their ability to always have enough liquidity to honor withdrawals. Now, FTX has borrowed a ton of money and they borrowed that money so with uh, FTT as collateral. So they're borrowing money, whether it's with other exchanges, whether it's with you know private equity firms, whatever the case may be, they're borrowing <laughs> money and over leveraging themselves. So when CZ came on Twitter, it was, I don't know what happened. I don't know what sparked off you know, this pissing match between Sam Why Bankman he did it, yeah. Sam Bankman-Fried and CZ. But basically he was just like, listen, I'm going to, you know, put a, put a squeeze on you. I'm going to make you sweat for the liquidity here. And I'm going to sell FTT tokens, which is going to drop the value. And when you drop the value, you get a margin call. Your collateral no longer honors your loan. So you need to come up with money somewhere. And it's, you know, it was a threat that worked. Uh, it scared a lot of people. We had a bank run on FTX. The FTT token dropped. The margin call was made. They, they had no money. They had to declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, and he even came out and said, uh, you know, every day was another story. And this really showed, you know, what you say, like a second in Web3 is like a, a year or something. Right. Whatever. You hear this yeah. conversation over and over again. But it, every day the story was building. And the story is still building to, to today. I, I don't think it's even, I think we're still on like part three of a 10-part series right now. Right. Like we're nowhere near the end. But... So when they, they kind of call that bluff and they're selling, we're, we're selling your FTT token, therefore you're becoming, de uh, you're, you're becoming deleveraged and now insolvent and you can't pay back, you know, your IOUs. And let's say if someone like myself that would have Bitcoin on the FTX uh, exchange, which I didn't and I never would because that's fucking stupid. So, oh, sorry, I know there's a lot of people out there. It's, this is tough love, but when we go to pull out our, our coins, they freeze withdrawals, Correct. Now, how is that any different with Crypto.com and Binance with their shit coins as well and their own backed coins like BNB and I think Crypto, I don't even know what shit coin they have. What happens when they all get a uh, margin called? Are they all not going down? I mean, it's a vulnerability for all of them because I think they're all operating the same way. They're all just borrowing money to honor withdrawals so that they can offer as much as they possibly can because they know that most deposits are going to stay on the platform and they can borrow and leverage beyond that point because they know that the withdrawal volume is so much lower than the deposit or the holding volume that's on there. They all operate the same way. Uh, I mean, so do banks in the real world. They all operate the same way. They count on deposits staying and they count on bank runs not happening. So if you do have... Listen, like I'm not, I, I'm a trader. I am not going to sit here and say don't trade because that's just not helpful for anybody. When you get a firm no from something, 
people are just going to kind of not listen to you. I know that people want to trade. It would be foolish for me to sit here and say, don't trade because you're going to trade. What I will say is don't keep your money on exchange. So if you are going to trade, have your money on a ledger. You're watching trading view. You're watching whatever it is that you're using for your analysis and you see a trade setup go down. You're going to take the money that you need for the trade. You're going to transfer it over to the exchange and you're going to trade with that amount. When the trade's done, take it off. Um, and you're never going to be fully exposed to something like this. On Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, And obviously, you know, this is advice that kind of falls on deaf ears when we're in the good times. But um, yeah, it's just a reminder that, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. All of these exchanges kind of operate the same way. And we're not at that point yet where we can truly trust cryptocurrency exchanges. Yeah, so... It like when you get into equities, you can do your futures and you can go short, you can go long and, and you can set up, you know, your buy orders. Now, from my understanding is you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. You should be almost like, you know, purchasing whatever the market price is, getting in and getting out as fast as you can. Because let's say I take, you know, uh, I don't know, you take a hundred thousand bot, you throw it on a bit cub and you, you try to short Bitcoin today, let's say it's 16,000 and I'm trying to short it to 12, but then bit cub tomorrow goes solvent well you lose everything yeah so when you say you're a trader are you a trader or an investor are these two different things i my particular style of trading is is longer term bigger swing kind of cycle trades i do consider myself a trader i'm not a day trader but i do consider myself a trader because i'm timing the markets i'm timing my investments and i use ta to make decisions yep. so i do consider myself a trader but um what was your question? It's like the difference between a trader and investor. This term, I, I've heard this terminology. Some people will say uh, an investor is definitely something over like one to two years and maybe once a year you make a move yeah. um, or once a cycle. Yeah. And then a trader is like, you know, a day trader going, you know, doing their futures. They're going, they're, maybe they're trading on 15 minute candles every day. Like this is a trader and which is essentially kind of a gambler. Yeah. I have kind of a fun analogy that I heard from, uh, actually arcane bear shout out to Tio at the arcane bear he said a trader is somebody who trades assets for money and an investor is somebody who trades money for assets mm. kind of a fun way of thinking about it but you know an investor is somebody that wants the asset a trader is somebody who's trying to get more money mm. so depending on how frequent you trade how frequent you hit buy and how how frequent you hit sell is irrelevant to me it's more of your intent and the tools you're using to get there. So, um, yeah, a trader is more active than an investor because an investor is not interested in money. They're interested in the asset. Is that kind of a, like a paradox there? Because don't we all want to hodl Bitcoin anyways? Like, don't we want that asset in the long run? Or will we be like hodling so much of it and only using bits of it to kind of, uh, you know, um, use to trade in the real world? I would argue that most people in cryptocurrency want money. They don't want Bitcoin. Yeah. They want money. So, you know, the hodlers get it. The hodlers, DCA, they stay humble and stack sats. And, you know, they understand the value of this as a payment network. And one day when everything is ready and the payment rails are in place and you can live your life on Bitcoin, they're going to be happy to spend it and, and contribute to a circular economy with it. But 
most people get into crypto to make money so they can buy Lambos and houses and boats and all that fucking <laughs> exactly. stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, th I mean that that is essentially you're trying to improve your life and yeah. by keeping money on the exchange. Unless you're like you have that Chinese mentality where like you're putting it away for your kids and, and their kids in 50 years and you're just going to live poor for the rest of your life for them. Okay, that's a different story. <laughs> but most people aren't, you know, human life is let's call it 70, 80 years. It's still very short term in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So we don't really think outside of five five year gaps, maybe five year cycles. I mean, we could all we all know charts go up and to the right, but how are you willing to wait thirty years? Like, and most people are not. No. No. Yeah, and okay. you know, I have short term time horizons and long term time horizons. Yeah, man's got to eat. I mean, burgers yeah. ain't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so before we get too sidetracked, we're gonna come back, and a lot of people are still probably wondering. How do I buy Bitcoin if I can't go to an exchange? And let's strip it back to the white paper of what Bitcoin is. And people need to understand this. It is peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah. It is not a centralized exchange that goes against all fundamentals of Bitcoin. So to any new traders out there that are even entering this space, entering crypto, how can they purchase Bitcoin? How can they, you know, not your key, understanding not your keys, not your coin, and how can they protect themselves? And I think I'll let you just go off the rails. That's a long conversation. Yeah. So as far as traders are concerned, uh, you know, anybody wanting to trade Bitcoin, just keep the bulk of your, uh, your stack off of the exchange and trade on the exchange. But for those that are wanting to invest in Bitcoin and want to acquire it peer to peer, which in my opinion, you know, like it's, the, it's Satoshi's vision of uh, this peer to peer network. There's a few options. Um, and it depends on how connected you are. I mean, you could go, uh, the, the, the biggest supply of new Bitcoin into the ecosystem comes from miners. So if you happen to have a friend or, you know, anybody who is mining, uh, just ask them cause they're always looking to sell. That's how they keep the lights on. They, they sell Bitcoin. So if you know a miner, ask to buy directly from a miner. If you don't have access to a miner, you can, uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a non-KYC ATM in your area, you can, uh, you know, check out uh, BitcoinATM.com or there's just Google Bitcoin ATM and see what pops up and see if there is a Bitcoin ATM in your area. You could purchase uh, Bitcoin that way. Uh, if you go to meetup.com and, and join the local crypto meetup, you can probably buy some Bitcoin or any crypto um, from participants at the meetup. Usually there's going to be an agreement on spread. So the typical charge is going to be anywhere from three to 5% above market value to buy peer to peer. Um, but this is the best way because it's, it's really, it, it preserves all of the properties that Bitcoin was intended to have unconfiscatable, immutable, permissionless censorship resistance. A lot of those qualities don't exist when you use a centralized exchange even when you take your crypto off and put it onto a wallet because you've been KYC'd, they, the uh, wallets have been identified. The IP. And the IP has been identified and you are being tracked. They don't even need the IP because they have your passport and they have the wallet that you re removed your funds to. Um, so they know who you are, they know what you hold and they know where it is. Yeah, uh, another one, uh, was it the OG Local Bitcoin, this website? Localbitcoins.com now requires KYC. It's not good anymore. What I recommend people go and check, and I actually have this in my link tree. So we're, I'm going to give you the link tree yep. uh, 
for my. We'll, we'll put that all, all this stuff, all links in the description. He'll feed it to me so you can okay. all, all this information like that we're you're giving as well. We 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 labeled off a bunch of names. We'll try to put as much information in the description so you don't get too lost on trying to find it later as well. But the website's called uh, KYC Not Me, and it's KYC Not Dot Me. And that's the website. And it'll give you a list of uh, many different options where you can purchase Bitcoin, Monero, and sometimes other cryptos using fiat currency on-ramps. Um, so that's a great resource. Uh, I use BISC, which is honestly not beginner friendly. But if you don't have the connections, if you don't know a miner, if you don't have an ATM, if you don't have a local crypto meetup, you know, you're running out of options. You're going to have to do a little bit of homework and learn how to use peer-to-peer -peer exchanges they are a thing they do exist they have applications you can download on your computer and it is a it is a decentralized exchange that operates peer-to-peer -peer. so this stuff exists does it work like an escrow it works like escrow so that's kind of the tricky part to getting started is both parties need to contribute bitcoin to to initiate a transaction so you do need to find bitcoin from someone you need to at least get your first like hundred dollars worth of bitcoin from somebody yeah um but yeah there there are options out there and once you go peer-to-peer, -peer, for the DCA crowd out there, for the individuals who are accumulating Bitcoin for the long term, I highly recommend, I highly recommend that you acquire your Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer because the you're never going to run, run into a situation where maybe governments don't agree with Bitcoin, maybe governments don't agree that it's a good thing for the economy and they request uh, that you give them the Bitcoin. This has happened in the past. You know, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. This happened with gold. Uh, there was, it was, I think it was Roosevelt that uh, needed money for the war and they took everybody's gold. House they to gave, house. They gave them, yeah, house to house. They gave them, you know, certificates of deposit in the banks and their, their money was still good, but their money was now controlled and their money was captured. Yeah. I don't, you know, that is one possibility. And, Sure, you know, it's not likely, but it's happened in the past, so it could happen again. And the only way to really defend yourself against that is to acquire Bitcoin that nobody knows exists. And you can do that with peer-to-peer. -peer. And, and, and through miners and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of people get this wrong, too, because they think that Bitcoin is a fully transparent blockchain and it offers no privacy. Yes, it is a fully transparent blockchain. You can look at every single transaction. You can look at every single wallet address. But if you don't know who owns that wallet, it's private. It's pseudo-anonymous. It's, it's a private blockchain as long as you can't peg an identity to a wallet. So. Yeah, and I, I, I'll, we're going to jump. I'll, I'm going to do a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Five Star. But before that, um, af after this shout-out, I will talk about there is a bit of a risk that I, I foresee happening where just basically like certain wallet addresses that haven't been KYC'd might get blacklisted coming to exchanges to convert to fiat, which is definitely a possibility, but there's always going to be ways around that. Yeah. Um, before we do that, uh, usually we do this at five minutes. Just a quick shout out to Five Star Marine. And so Five Star Marine and Sean Stenning, he was on the episode a couple, two ago, and he was also on episode 10. We weren't going to take on sponsors. They are a private VIP speedboat tour company on the island of Phuket. I think they're one of the best. Many sponsors reached out to us. 
We don't want anything to do with them because, uh, I don't know, I don't trust them as far as I could throw them, but I'm not going to name names. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was just on a call with my family. My family's coming out in two weeks, and we're looking for a, a speedboat. So there you go. There we go. And, and Sean's great because Sean's also doing, um, he does a lot of charity work as well. Uh, he helped out during the floods. Like, he was full-blown, let's get in there. He's out in Phuket Town helping out there. And he was also doing all the, like, life bags during the current situation. But... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll send you that episode. It's yeah. a great episode to watch. It's, it's more or less, we were discussing with him, like the biggest problem with speedboat tour companies in Phuket is sometimes you'll get on a speedboat with like 40 people right. and they're just like, they're only going to take you to the places where like, where can we save the most amount of gas and, you know, let you do it quick and fast and get it yeah. over. At least with Sean, the way he's done it, it's like, it's his company. He's controlling it all. He's going to take you where you want to go. You can dictate that or just listen to the captain. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to them. We're probably going to go out there in a week or so. We got to shoot some stuff as well. Um, but back to Bitcoin. Um, so um, going back to maybe one of the the uh, exploits or maybe one of the issues, not an exploit, issues with, with Bitcoin in the future is by, not, by having non-KYC wallets, um, could they have issues in the future of, because these centralized exchanges, they're going to exist again. We know that. Yeah. Uh, trying to maybe bring the Bitcoin. Away, they're still here. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> well, I think they're all going down in about a week or so. A lot yeah. of them. We'll see. But they bringing, you know, Bitcoin back onto that exchange because it's on your cold storage and then trying to convert that to fiat. Maybe could those non-KYC wallets be like blacklisted? 100%. They will absolutely be blacklisted. Yeah. So on your Bitcoin journey, you know, you got to look at your portfolio as a whole. So if you want truly private, unconfiscatable Bitcoin, I don't recommend that you do that all in. I don't recommend that that take up 100% of your portfolio. It should be insurance against incompetence. And that's it. You know, I am happy to continue to live in the, you know, the, the, func the somewhat functioning world that we have. I would like to see the world get better. I would like to see the world get more transparent. And I would like to see financial instruments get stronger without a collapse. But in the event of a collapse or in the event of a seizure, I want to know that they can't take everything. So, you know, those wallets are going to be blacklisted. They are not going to be allowed. They're going to be unregistered wallets. So you do need to take that into consideration. Um, but at the same time, this is a peer-to-peer -peer movement. And there's going to be several applications. And there's going to be lots of places for you to use that. Very similar to, you know, what we have with the internet today and the dark net. You know, most of the internet is the light net. It is the, you know, controlled, censored, auditable, and, uh, you know, more than adopted uh, internet. And we still have the dark net, which, you know, has some nefarious activity on there as well. But it also has freedom. It has the freedom of speech. It has the freedom of the press. And there's a lot of uh, really positive use cases of the dark net. What, it's a double-edged sword, though. It comes yeah. with the negative stuff. Like this. So yeah, and I, that. you'll still be able to unload on peer-to-peer -peer in any country, especially peer maybe these, will, like, Bitcoin-friendly countries like El Salvador and Panama and, yep. and even Thailand yep. now. I mean, they're really pushing on the crypto side. Dubai. Dubai. So you'll you'll still... If you got if you got 20 million in Bitcoin on, on a non-KYC wallet, don't worry. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, that's, that's actually a really valid point as well because, you know, where one country will over-regulate crypto another country will embrace it and there will be a, you know, an opportunity fight. There will be a policy fight between countries. So, you know, we may enter a time where 
your KYC Bitcoin may not be able to leave the country. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things that, that could happen, but your non KYC Bitcoin lives in your brain and you can take it anywhere you want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible what roadblocks can be put in front of you. So it's important to study, do your due diligence and try and, you know, stay abreast of, uh, any of the security precautions and, and developments that come to Bitcoin so that you're, you have the tools available. Yeah. I helped a friend. Uh, he, he purchased some Bitcoin when it crashed the other day and he put it on, I'll shout out, you know who I'm talking about if you're watching this. Uh, and he, he put it on his, um, he bought it on Binance and he was having trouble um, taking it from Binance to his ledger. And there was a part on there and he, he, he was, he, I, he was having a panic attack, but I said, Hey, don't worry. I'll come figure We'll figure it out. And basically, there's a question on Binance. They're saying, where are you sending your, your, yep. your Bitcoin? And he kept clicking on for protection. And they kept saying, well, send us the URL. He's like, well, how do I send the URL? And he couldn't get past this point. I'm like, give me your app. I took a, I literally opened up. It's like, where are you sending this? I'm like, to a friend. Clicked it. And they, they were fine. They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. Just send it. Oh, interesting. And that was it. And it was fixed. Interesting. Because <laughs> I ran into the exact same thing with Coinbase recently. And I said I was sending it to a friend uh, because a friend, you know, Anyways, I don't need to get into yeah, the details, yeah. but I was sending it to a friend and they asked for KYC of my friend. Oh, wow. So that's coming down the pipe. This is, so everyone needs to start to prepare for that as well. And, yeah. um, and, and with that in mind, like there are the, the worst case scenario, meaning you go on, let's say you went on FTX two hours before it crashed and you bought on a hundred thousand US dollars and you wanted to buy the Bitcoin. That would be like a black swan moment in the sense of, you bought it and you literally went to take it off and send it to your ledger and they crash. That can happen. Now it would be very, a very rare like case. Like your timing would just be like horribly yeah. off, but that can still happen. Sure. So that's what people are going to ask. Again, I, I don't want an exchange. So we're going to have to go through these peer to peer networks. Maybe, um, could you even find friends, let's say that have a KYC account and, you send them the cash and they go, there's peer to peer on like Binance as well, where I think you can purchase peer to peer. It's witnessed peer to peer. Witnessed peer to peer. Yes. So Binance knows who you are. They know who the counterparty is. They know that a transaction went down. And so it's not really true peer to peer. It's witnessed peer to peer. Uh, but yeah, there are peer to peer exchanges built into a lot of these top exchanges. FTX had one too. Like a lot of them have it. Um, I don't agree with those. Um, it's just the same. It's you're still KYCing. You're you just push that up a bit and down, or right. I think just closer and then down. You're just KYCing yeah, yourself. Okay. Um, okay. So let let's go into the next point of the protection and not your keys, not your coin, and what is cold storage and um, what protocols and process would you recommend to everyone that sh they should take? And uh, it's a very long winded question, but also let's. Just I'll let you run with that and explain what are multi-sig wallets and how that all works because this is all news to people coming into this. If you're listening to this part as well um, and you're following the, this podcast, we have timestamps. So you can go down, you can click, and you can jump ahead if you, you don't enjoy this part or jump backwards or at least you'll know how to navigate and listen to that. And we'll probably call this part cold storage or something like that. Um, just explain all that stuff. Cold storage, uh, how to protect yourself, processes, protocol, vault wallets. Um, run with it. So I'm going to start this whole thing off by saying, just do something. Uh, you have to start somewhere. A lot of stuff in crypto is really overwhelming. 
it's it's very hard people get very overwhelmed because there's a lot that you can do to maximize your security and i don't expect anybody who has only ever held crypto on an exchange to automatically create a vault with a multi-signature address all at the other end of of security security is a spectrum so i don't want anybody to get overwhelmed but what i want people to invest in is a hardware wallet first get some hardware wallet whether it is a ledger ledger nano s ledger nano x a fucking cold card uh, uh, a trezor it does not matter just pick one it doesn't matter get the cheapest one you can actually build them for eight dollars i'll have to find a link personally i that. i i love ledger nano x i just love the feel it's a, i'm a trezor guy i like okay. the i like the touch screen Ah. But uh, yeah, it's it doesn't matter. Just start there and start to custody your own funds. Get your 24 word phrase written down, maybe written down on multiple pieces of paper and and stored in multiple locations. We were actually uh, talking about this offline. A lot of people don't understand what the 24 word phrase is. Uh, that's your coins. And it's not it's not unique to that wallet either. You can take that anywhere. That 24 word phrase needs to be thought of as if you have a Facebook account, you have a username and you have a password. That's your account. That's your 24 word seed phrase. It's the same thing. So you can take that anywhere you want. You can you can log into your Facebook account on your computer. You can log into your Facebook account on your phone. You can log into your Facebook account on your tablet. You can take that 24 word phrase and you can install that on any wallet that you want. Hot wallet, multi-sig wallet, hardware wallet it does not matter those 24 words just represent your wallet address on the blockchain um, so step one is just get a fucking wallet even if it's a hot wallet start taking your funds off of the exchange get used to that process of sending and receiving uh cryptocurrency how does that work um i think we're going to go down rabbit holes and we might get lost on what we we're talking about but i want to interrupt as the audience as well like the technical side of me generating a 24-word password through the Bitcoin blockchain, technically, how does that work? Technically, uh, I don't know. Yes. I'm not a computer scientist. I don't know exactly how the private keys are generated, uh, so I'm not going to speak to that. But what I do know is every single wallet that you choose will prompt you to generate a new private key. So whether you're picking Wasabi Wallet whether you're picking blue wallet, green wallet, or Bitcoin core wallet, it does not matter. Uh, when you open up that wallet, it's going to prompt you to generate a new private key. And then to explain to people, that's just your wallet. You can have multiple wallet addresses within that wallet. Yeah, a lot of wallet addresses, especially with Bitcoin, like I have a, a green wallet. Green wallet, I have it on my desktop. I have it on my phone. Every single time that I receive Bitcoin, it goes to a new address. Every single time. When, if you send me 20 bucks, it generates a brand Auto new address. Automatically. Automatically generates a new address. So if I send you Bitcoin, you have to give me a wallet address, no? Yeah. And I send it to that address and it automatically generates it to a new one? So if you send it, you're, you're wanting to send me Bitcoin, I'm going to give you a wallet address. Correct. I'm going to open up my phone, I'm going to copy it, and I'm going to send you the wallet address and you can send it. But you're making a new one every time? Every single time. Okay, so that's you, you're doing that manually. I get that. It automatically, whenever I press receive, ah, it will generate okay, a new okay. address. So then on the interface of your green wallet, yeah. are you going to see like 50 different addresses? Are you deleting them? And uh, No. So it's very different from the Ethereum model. So Ethereum, you can have different accounts. Yes. It's a completely different way of organizing on the blockchain. They give you, you know, account one, account two. If you've ever used MetaMask, you get account one, account two, account three, okay. et cetera. Um, and you can send and receive between those. 
Bitcoin will just automatically generate a new address, but it all goes to the same private key. So when you open up your yeah, wallet, yeah, all yeah. your Bitcoin's there. Yep. But when somebody wants to snoop on you, if they if you send them Bitcoin, they're like, well, let's see how much Bitcoin this guy's got. All they're going to see is the Bitcoin they sent you. Right. Because it goes to the hash. It goes to the address that they sent. They can't see all your wallet addresses. They can't see everything. There's no, but I mean, they, I guess there would one be one loophole and that would only be on your side of a mistake. If they saw in the back of the blockchain of you sending, let's say that Bitcoin you received to your vault and then they can follow the. Of course. Yeah. Right. If you, if you sent it there, but there's, there's ways around that, yeah. but we're getting. Okay. Yeah. Let's not get too, too technical. <laughs> let's stick with the people that are yeah, still stuck sorry. on exchange. Okay. So if you're, if you're new to this, what, what do you say to the person that says, ah, ledger cold storage is too difficult. I don't have time for that. You deserve to lose all your money is what I would say. Yeah. And I, I heard them. <laughs> there was a, so there's a, what's the, con there's a conference I shared that and we were talking about this off camera. It's in Argentina right now. There's, it's bit, um, what I forget the name of it. Um, but they were there. It was Bitcoin Maxi's talking with Vitalik. And one of the guys said, yeah, many people will come up and I shared this off camera anyways. Um, maybe many people will come up and they will say, you know, I don't have time for cold storage and I'm not going to set that up. It's too difficult. Well, it's this, the analogy is the same thing as how the fuck do you get a driver's license? You got to learn, you got to drive, you got to learn to drive a car, but they're not just going to give you that license either. If you're not going to take the effort and energy to learn how to use cold storage, you deserve to lose everything. Yeah. And I would also add that there, the, uh, again, going back to people wanting to make money in cryptocurrency, the reason you have the opportunity to make money in cryptocurrency is because you're really early. You're very early to the development of this so technology. Early. So early. <laughs> <laughs> it's a meme at this point. So but it's, I really do believe that we are, yeah. this is the beginning. I mean, it, we've been here for 12, 13 years, but this is still the beginning. Um, and so, you know, you, you need to do work. You're not going to be the recipient of, uh, of a future fortune without doing work. That's lazy. You need to stay on top of security measures. You need to understand what it is that you're doing with the products. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You're going to end up using Bitcoin eventually. You're just going to end up using it at a less volatile level um, where it's easy. And eventually we'll be, we'll be there. You'll, you'll have apps that do multi-sig. We already are starting to see multi-signature wallet apps where you don't need to do anything. We're going to get to the point where you don't need to write down a freaking seed phrase. We're going to get to the point where every single thing is done for you. And at that point, Bitcoin's just going to be a currency. It's not going to be something you're going to make any money off of. Yeah, it's like we were discussing. You'll have your Lightning Network and maybe touch on that. The difference between like uh, your savings account and your checking account. Yeah, Bitcoin, uh, you know, you can even have a savings account on Lightning. But at, at this point, Lightning isn't widely adopted or used, even though it's a fantastic product that I encourage everybody to go and try out. Go download Blue Wallet. It'll, it handles both Lightning and on-chain. Um, but yeah, Lightning can be thought of as your checking account. You know, it's, it's basically zero fees. You know, there's there's one Satoshi to do anything. Sometimes there's more. Sometimes like it's us less. sending money each other. One sat. That's so yeah. like, and and that's only when we settle. So, so we can like, send the same Bitcoin between each other for six months, and then when we settle, we pay a sat. Yeah, Ethereum's ridiculous. Yeah, fees are um, insane. So it's a, it's a very different thing. But yeah, you know, Bitcoin on chain can be thought of as your savings account in your bank in the bank vault, and then when you need some money, you know. You're going to, you know, withdraw cash and put it in your wallet that you keep in your back pocket. You're not going to keep your fortune in your back pocket. You're just going to keep what you need for the, the day, the week, the month, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you're going to put that on a lightning wallet and that's your spending money. Yeah. Um, well, well, I think we got a bit of a head and we'll jump back into that. So we talked about cold storage um, and like a ledger and whatnot. 
let's talk about like the super secure protocols that everyone should also learn to use. And I think this, this video, if you're watching, watch it 50 times, gives us a lot of hours. But um, if you can understand everything we're talking about at the end of this, you would probably be in the top 1% of people in crypto today, or at least 5%. Yeah, I would, I would say so. So let's talk about the protocols of, of not just the cold storage and that 24 word password, but incorporating uh, super safety protocols with multi-sig wallets. How does that work so that if one gets hacked, the others don't and run with that? Yeah, so a multi-signature wallet, uh, I'm going to keep it very simple. It's basically, it's basically, you can think of it as, as a board of directors. You know, you got 10 people sitting in a room. They're all deciding how to pay, uh, you know, pay for budgeting in different departments or whatever. You have 10 people. You need at least six people to agree before you can spend. So you can set up a wallet where you have, and I'm just going to use the 10 people example for now, but you, every of one of those 10 people has their 24 word seed phrase. They've written it down. They know their private key. Uh, and you need at least six signatures to spend. Why this is safe is because the biggest exploit that can happen in cryptocurrency is somebody uh, learns your private key or they you know, get spending permissions on Ethereum. Ethereum is a different beast, but on Bitcoin, they, they get your private key. So if they somehow fish you or, or attack you or figure out your private key some way, they get very creative. Um, if it's just a signal, single signature wallet, which is what most of the wallets are out there, uh, they just need to, you know, create a new wallet with that private key. They have full access to the funds exactly like you do, and they can transfer it to a, di a different wallet that you no longer control. But with a multi-signature wallet, uh, they have hacked one person, and there are nine other people that can process a transaction, and you can't get a transaction through without five other people agreeing with you. So it's effectively useless. There's nothing that you can do about it. Now, how this can help the individual is scrap the 10 people at the board of directors. Uh, it's just you and you have three wallets. So you have three separate wallets. You have a Bitcoin core wallet, you have a Trezor wallet, and you have, uh, you know, Moon wallet. I'm just throwing wallet names it out It could there. be a hot wallet. It could be anything. It can be yeah. anything. You can use two hot wallets and a cold storage wallet. And what you're going to do is that that creates a vault. So if and under any circumstance, if any one of those three gets compromised, A, you're going to know about it because you're going to see an attempted transaction pop up in your wallet. So you're going to know that you've been hacked. But B, the hacker can't do anything because they only have one signature. So because they only have one signature, they can't do anything. They can't process the transaction. Yeah, but where do we set that up? There is there a website for that? Like I, I, I came across one and it's like you, you have There's, to pay some money and you got to go and set up all three wallets in there. Yes. So uh, you, uh, I don't know about the paying money one, but there's uh, an application called Spectre Wallet. Okay. Um, Spectre allows you to set up multi-signature wallets and you just follow the prompts. It's just like create a new vault or create a new multi-sig, whatever the language that they choose to use is. And, uh, you know, input wallet address. You would input the wallet address, press sign. Input second wallet address, press sign. Input third wallet address, press sign. Then it'll ask for what is quorum. What do you need to process a transaction? On a three signature transaction, I recommend that you say two. Two transactions will get a, uh, a valid transaction. Why through. not three? I don't feel personally comfortable with uh, three out of three. If you're going to do three, set up five wallets. Oh, in case you lose one. In case you lose one. Yeah, okay. Or in case, you know, something happens. Because if you lose one, 
you can't sign or, or there's something that could go wrong. I just feel so much safer having a little bit of a buffer. So if you really wanted three transactions, set up a five signature wallet okay. so that you have, you know, quorum over that wallet. Yeah, because it does become difficult to safely store your 24 word passwords. How would you recommend people on how to properly save that 24 word password? I would punch the seed phrase into a piece of metal. You can actually get kits now. By a, by a billfold. Uh, I, there's a lot of companies that do it now. You can just... Uh, Ledger has one. It's like yeah, yeah 3,000. There's also DIY projects where okay. you get washers and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. stamps and stuff. Uh, so you store it uh, on metal so that it's at least floodproof and fireproof to a point. And then do it more than once and store them in separate locations. Because in my experience, I, I used to do firefighting work in California. And uh, I can tell you that these fireproof safes don't work in a forest fire. So, you know, keep them in separate locations if you can. Um, and then, yeah, don't ever take a picture of them. Don't ever load anything onto cloud storage. Don't ever do anything, you know, if it's a high value one. If it's a low value wallet, and I know it's a low value wallet, I'll keep things simple and I'll just store this this shit on the cloud because I know that what I put in there, you know, sometimes sometimes I opt for convenience over security, and those are those are the opposing forces of this spectrum. The less convenient your life becomes, the more private it is, and vice versa. So sometimes, uh, you know, if it's a low value wallet, I will just use cloud storage. But if it's the vault, if it's the hodl, if it's the big the big bucks, the one that I don't ever want taken away then absolutely I'm going to have that, uh, you know, printed on metal and stored in two physically separate locations. Mm. Would you put it maybe in a bank vault that with a secure? Yeah, key? absolutely. Sure. I'm sure. It's, I mean, if all banks go under the world's over, so <laughs> I don't think you, you'll give a shit about your metal plate by that point. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, what about like, if you were to take like a 24 word password and 12 words, you took a picture and 12 words, you took a picture of the other and you sent to different emails. It's still, is that, it's safe. I mean, I, I didn't do that. I have my own way, but yeah, I, I would advise against it. You know, simple is best. Um, I do like having the 12 and 12, but just don't digitize it. Just keep it physical, keep it separate. Yeah. Um, another thing that you could do if you wanted to is you could take a digital camera and you could like not an iPhone or anything, but an actual like old school digital camera. And you could take pictures of that and have little SD cards and you could have SD cards in multiple places as well. If you really wanted to. But then those SD lazy. cards fail and you're fucked. Yeah. Metal is best. Physical is best. Separate locations. Yeah. Nano, nano uh, on the ledger website, there's something called like billfold or I don't know. They have a metal plate yes. you can purchase and do all that with as yep. well. It's definitely the best way to go about it and then throwing that in a safe. And as, as, if there is a fire, like you said, in your home, that metal plate should survive. Uh, I mean, should. that's worst if case scenario. If there's a house fire, it'll it'll be fine. If there's a forest fire, no, and everything's gone. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we live on the beach here. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Depends there's, there, you there's if a... If you're in Northern like, California, then, you know... Like you said, get, there's a level of uh, safety, security spectrum, and yeah. what extent are you going to as well? Um we won't go into Ethereum too much on that, but is there, now you have your Solana, your Cardano, your XRP. I believe all this stuff is shit coins anyways. I mean, I'm moving as these exchanges crash, um, you become more and more of a Bitcoin maxi. And I think I start to understand these guys from 2000. What is it with the Mount Gox going down? Yeah. I think that was probably the birth of the Bitcoin maxis. Yeah. Um, now, how is Bitcoin any different than Ethereum? How is Bitcoin also just not a shit coin? 
So in my opinion, the biggest uh, uh, differing factor between Bitcoin and most other cryptos is, pr- is proof of work. Um, you know, a lot of people really dismiss the power of proof of work. A, uh, uh, you know what, we'll keep it simple for today. But the biggest thing that proof of work offers is appropriate decentralized distribution of coins. How do you get Ethereum? Where do you get Ethereum from? Who's giving you Ethereum? It's proof of stake now. Yeah, because they can't mine it. They can't mine it. So who, where are you getting your Ethereum from? Well, they can print it. Yeah, well, they're getting it from validator nodes. Yeah. But the validator node has no incentive to sell it to you because they're just getting richer for nothing. Bitcoin has mining. Mining costs electricity. Electricity has a fucking bill attached to it. The miners are incentivized to sell. So that's going to give you a constant supply of Bitcoin on the market. A lot of people you know, think of this kind of from a greedy perspective. And they're like, well, why? The miners keep selling. It suppresses the price. No, it, it, it encourages appropriate distribu- distribution of the coin. And it keeps the system fair. It keeps the system honest. Um, so I, I really think that proof of work is probably the biggest factor that differentiates Bitcoin from other cryptocurrencies. And there are other cryptocurrencies that are mined still. I, and I, I, can, I, I do tend to be a fan of some of them. I'm a big fan of Monero as well. Monero is a mined cryptocurrency and I'm a big fan of Monero. I think that Monero- But is it centralized? Of, is, there a, is there a controller? No, no, it's, it's proof of work mining. It's, descent, it's a distributed ledger. It's the same as Bitcoin with just a different uh, And it has a fixed mechanism. market cap, like Bitcoin, or a fixed supply. It has an infinite supply, mm. but the infinite supply has a, re, 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 <clears> it <throat> has a reducing effect on what it is. I think it's a fixed percentage. Or no, it's a fixed amount. Mm. It's a fixed amount of Monero that, that enters onto the market. So let's say one year it's 5%. Well, the inf- the supply increased by five percent, so the next year it's four. Well, the, it's the supply increased by four percent, so the next year it's three. So it's diminishing returns because okay. the supply is fixed, and that's always that's kind of a good way, in my opinion, because it does, uh, you know, it solves the problem of what happens when there's no more Bitcoin. How do we reward the miners? That's a completely different uh, topic, but uh, Monero has kind of figured that out because there always will be Monero. Well, that will be, I guess they're saying, what, year 2140 is when the last Bitcoin will be mined, apparently. Um, And then I would assume they're just going to reward the validators? Well, there won't be validators. There will be miners. That are basically uh, authenticating the transactions. Yeah, so, you know, this is another... Big okay, we, w- we won't go down that because that, this is where it starts to get technical and yeah, yeah. we're probably going to lose a lot of you And there. it's all theoretical at this point. My stance is Bitcoin will eventually be plugged into power plants because that's going to be the most effective way to mine cryptocurrency. It's already well. starting to happen. So when it starts to get built into power plants, it's no longer a competition for mining. It's, it's, it's a competition of power generation the richest nation will be the nation that produces the most power. And, you know, that's kind of the game theory that I subscribe yeah, to. So I, I thought that, uh, like everyone said, oh, it goes against this ECG. I'm like, actually, it's pretty good for the environment. You put Bitcoin beside a hydro mine that loses 40% when it's trying to, you know, uh, move um, energy yeah. across distance. And if Bitcoin can ca- capture that loss, yeah. I mean, that's actually good for society as a whole because you're capturing that as a value that can go back into the economy and stimulate the economy for growth which therefore stimulates r&d research and development and we grow as a nation and it's actually good for the economy 
macro yes short term no you know there's a lot that you can point to that says that bitcoin's bad for the environment in the short term but in the but in the long term term. it incentivizes the right behavior yeah it's just the regulation will come though once we get there um so and we we talked about proof of work we've talked about proof of stake people need to understand that's what the everyone said the merge or eth 2.0 that's what this was it was the move from proof of work to proof of stake everyone is against it what are your thoughts why did they not just stay proof of work I don't know. I mean, we're on the other side of it now. Um, I would have been an advocate to stick with proof of work, but the narrative that built around proof of stake is this was a, a step forwards towards getting to lower fees. The lower fees, uh, it hasn't really happened. So what's ended up happening is we've created a system where the fees aren't substantially lower. And uh, now we're just rewarding people for doing nothing and we're promising users a return through burning so you know, making it deflationary yes yeah. which kind of in my opinion puts ethereum in a precarious situation because now is ethereum a commodity or is ethereum a security because there's a promise of a return now mm. or there's an inference of a return and uh, you don't need to put effort into acquiring it so is it a commodity a commodity is something that you need to create Um, And as these cryptos go into securities, there was a huge precedent last week. Some company lost to the SEC through as a security. I forget the name of it. Uh, Uh, That was library library. Yes. And that's like, I mean, now it's on the book. How are we on time? One hour. Um, We're trying to keep these under one hour. Okay. Um, We can easily go down rabbit holes. Um, So I, I guess, we, I, I think we've clearly explained. I th- everyone need you do your own research, especially on cold storage. Um, any, what, what, t- what's the date today? The fourteenth. So again, I think we're in episode three of the FTX meltdown. Um, I, I fucking predicted this. I mean, well, I didn't predict. I just thought it was too good to be true. With like, we're in a bear market, and FTX has a arena. And they're spending all this money. Everybody had their marketing dollars being spent on FTX and promoting FTX. That goes to say, I think crypto.com is about to go down as well. They also have an arena and we discussed that as well. All these exchanges are just over leveraged on their own shit coin. How will, how far in the short term, this is going to smash the whole crypto industry back and we're going to lose confidence in Bitcoin. But in the long term, how bullish does that make everyone on Bitcoin? I, I absolutely subscribe to the fact that there's a silver lining here yeah. because this is a huge reminder of the importance of self-custody. And this is going to be a massive incentive for developers to, you know, get their thumb out and start getting to work on creating a DEX that is a real competitor. There's nothing to say that we can't create a decentralized exchange that can compete with Binance, compete with FTX, compete with Crypto.com. Without a liquidity pool. Without a liquidity pool. There's a big upgrade coming to the Bitcoin Lightning Network that is going to allow for order books, which is something we don't have in DeFi. Uh, you know, we'll, we can get really nerdy here, but you know, if you know anything about DeFi, you, you kind of have heard of a liquidity pool. Uh, liquidity pool has never been the way that we've ever decided on price as humans since the beginning of deciding price. Um, order books have always been that way. And Bitcoin's having a huge upgrade to allow for order books. So once we have order books in DeFi, and once we have a lot of the ability to offer the same financial uh, 
instruments that are available to a modern exchange, we have a chance to stop this bullshit. We really do have a chance to stop this bullshit. And I think that, uh, you know, if I was to put a realistic time expectation on that, I think we could see an exchange, a decentralized exchange that truly works, has a marketing department. It could be run as a DAO, has incentives and affiliate links, like literally has all of the check marks of a modern exchange, but is owned by nobody. It's owned by the people. It's owned by the users. So, you know, devs get to work <laughs> well that and that's the thing everything is being developed on the back end and i, I was watching uh, your video the other day as well and i didn't realize that there's so much interesting stuff on the layer two but specifically like bitcoin has an app store yeah um well, we're gonna end it on this part here so in case it's getting a bit uh dry but let's end it on that part because we're in the year 2022 and you're developing all these apps on layer two and this is the future what is the Bitcoin app store? What's going on there? And just explain it a little bit. So the app store you're referring to is actually the Umbral app store for anybody who does who is familiar with Umbral. It's a operating system that is specifically designed for Bitcoin nodes. Not all of the apps run on the Bitcoin network. A lot of the apps run on the node, the peer-to-peer -peer internet that these nodes offer. But yeah, you know, there's there's a ton of development going on in the background. And the number one reason that I think nobody talks about it is because in the Bitcoin ecosystem, there's never a new coin. It's just apps. We're just creating things that work. If you launch a project on Ethereum, you have a token. You have a shitcoin. It's like, oh, we, guys, we have uh, Google. We have Google, decentralized Google on Ethereum and buy our shitcoin to go with it. And you need to use our shitcoin to, to Google search. That's, it makes no sense. Bitcoin doesn't get covered enough because there's no fresh new FOMO coin to go into. It's always just Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So we keep developing, we keep making new apps, we keep making new products, we keep making Bitcoin better, stronger, faster, uh, but nobody cares because, you know, well, what do I buy? Oh, that's a sweet app. Where's the coin? But what the about co rap Bitcoin? That's the, such a good coin. <laughs> the coin's Bitcoin, man. <laughs> I, know, I know. People don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, people are, yeah, rap Bitcoin. It's like, what? No. Oh, yeah. That's absolute bullshit as well. Um, um, so light, the Lightning Network on the, is that just considered another app on the layer two as well? The Lightning Network is very uh, closely connected to the Bitcoin Network. It's uh, I don't want to get yeah, let's not get too, too yeah, yeah. technical on it, but it's kind of it runs off of the Bitcoin nodes, so it's decentralized. It's not controlled. It's not. It has all the same properties of Bitcoin, and it has you know the possibility for other properties but it's bitcoin's layer two yeah it's bitcoin's smart contract layer it's bitcoin's everything layer it's 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 payments network it's it's everything it's yeah yeah and i think we'll end it on one note see we always say oh we're too early we're too early but i guess that's another like it's an interesting point if you looked at the dot-com bubble how many people said we were too early when amazon was at its all-time high Right. And well, you never saw that all time high for eight years again. Yeah. So you there's there is a bit of an issue of that. Well, maybe that's 70,000 Bitcoin. And that might be the question people ask, like, when are we going to see that again? You might not for eight years. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. The market's going to do what the market's going to do. And every cycle is a little bit different and every asset is unique. But uh, if we do keep continuing on this trajectory and if you know uh crypto.com goes down and if that causes more contagion contagion for other exchanges to go down i think it would be unrealistic for us to, to expect a speedy recovery 
And I think that having, you know, a five, six, seven year time horizon until a new all time high break would be, you know, more than feasible or plausible. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. But what I will say is I'm a Wyckoff specialist with my TA. And I will say that if that happens, if that happens, there's always a silver lining. Uh, you're going to see the biggest fucking bull run you've ever seen in your life because yeah. the accumulation range of, of something that goes on for five years, we've never had that before. And the supply shock that would happen as a result of that would be astronomical and it would blow anything out of the water yeah, and you would just, not feel late to Bitcoin. <laughs> no, just go look at a Tesla chart. Go look at a, an Amazon chart. They all yeah. had these huge accumulation phases Yeah, and they went, they just rocketed. So let's hope it's not that long, but it, it is the reality. But if anything, if, if you're so, if you're new to this, you should, you want a five year range that gives you five years to buy at the low. Yeah. You don't want to, you like, for example, when the you COVID, do and you don't, a lot of people okay, okay. don't. Let's be real. Okay, maybe <laughs> I'm I'm good with two years mentally. Maybe three, yeah, five, eight. It gets a lot, but um, a lot of people we didn't have that time during the 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 2020 crash. You had about maybe there was a point where you had about two weeks. Right. If you give yourself three years of you know a little bit of your salary, you know a little bit of your savings, a little bit of revenue stream, that that's that's great. I think you get all this time to accumulate yeah. Bitcoin, which I think, and I know it's. I personally believe that this is our generational move, our generational wealth, kind of like our parents in the '80s when they were getting homes at like 40k, and they're like, "Why can't you buy a home now?" Well, because the price is fucked. But this is our time. It's our time down here, the Goonies. Anyways, <laughs> um, so before we end that, uh, we'll shoot it back to Justin. This is uh, your camera there. He's just going to let you know where you can find him, uh, especially with his, his channel. I think it's it's very, you know, raw to the point. It's none of that, uh, uh, what we'd say, uh, uh, you, YouTube pumping bullshit. Yeah, we don't do Moon Boy stuff. Moon Boy stuff, none of that. So he'll let you know uh, where you can find him. And if you want more information, then yeah, take it away. Yeah, so, you know, you can find me on uh, social media. You can find me at Peer-to-Peer uh, -peer Trades, both on YouTube or on Twitter. There's also going to be my uh, my link tree in the bio. So uh, if you're, you know, wanted to follow and uh, follow somebody who doesn't sensationalize the... Uh, the uh, emotional charge that a lot of YouTubers lean into. I try to keep a level head. I try to keep, uh, you know, an objective view of the markets and uh, try and offer the best analysis that I can. Um, and yeah, we're, we, we teach you how to time the markets. Everybody says you can, but I disagree. Yeah. And he's got discord. There's some, uh, um, some, some, uh, um, they can join you on, um, you know what I'm trying to say here. Discord. Trying to shill you a little bit. <laughs> just, just, you can join his Discord. He's got different indicators if you want to learn the TA side. So, um, I, I have a, I have a course. We have an indicator. Yeah. We have a lot of stuff. But you know, I'm not here to shill, to shill especially in these conditions. Yeah, I just yeah. want to invite you to, uh, you know, check out the channel and uh, make check. decisions for and yourself. Subscribe. Do your own research and subscribe. <laughs> check yes. it out. Subscribe. Um, okay, that app wraps up another episode. Today is November fourteenth. So uh, RIP crypto.com and probably Binance.com. Get your money off the exchanges. Get it in cold storage. Don't make, I say, I fucking a toe to so. And we're out.